Good morning again to everybody. Uh, good morning to everybody who's here in this room with us today and everybody who's joining us online. I don't know about y'all, but I'm, I'm pretty excited to be here. My first Sunday as your pastor here at First Baptist Church Truth, and I could not be more thrilled to be with y'all this morning. A special thank you to our friends who've come and joined us here today. And again, this is just an awesome day that y'all are all here um, for this day, for this for, for a new season, you know, in, in this church, in y'all's lives, and, and for a new thing that God's going to do in this church and in the city of Troop and the surrounding areas. It's exciting that that's where we stand today. So I, I'm just, I, I can't wait. I, I'm, I'm excited about every, everything that's going to happen here. But before we get into today, I actually was going to tell you all something during the announcements and forgot. I'm going to do that quite a bit. I'll retroactively say, hey, I forgot to tell you all this, but here it is. Um, you know, whenever we first meet somebody, you know, you meet a new pastor, new, somebody like that, you, you, everybody wants to put on their, their good face, right? Everybody wants to make sure we say the right things and we smile and we don't look off or, or that our kids, heaven forbid, our kids embarrass us in front of somebody like that, right? That's the last thing we want to do. Well, funny thing about that is uh, the first time we went over to Matt and Brooks' house, over to the youth pastor's house, I've got three kids, so of course I want my kids to be on their best behavior, right? And I got one going into the youth group, so, but she's literally probably our best kid, so I'm not worried about her in any, any way. Uh, we get over there, we're having a good time, we're, we're talking, hanging out on the back porch, watching the kids play, and Matt and Brooke have like two trampolines out there, the kids are jumping on, we're talking, all of a sudden we look up and Mia is halfway through one of the trampolines, one half of her's here, one half of her's here, and the trampoline's in the middle. She busts a big hole right in the middle of the trampoline the first time she goes over to the youth pastor's house. So not only are we embarrassed, but now I owe Matt and Brooke a new trampoline. So, oh yeah. We've got pictures to prove it. We'll show you all later. Uh, we took photos of it. Anyways, uh, so it's all good. Whenever we meet you guys, we don't need any kind of uh, fake or front or anything. We, we want to get to know you who you are. We want to meet you, get to know you and your family, get to know your story. Uh, and, and so again, we went ahead and made the first mistake, the first blunder. You can laugh at us and we'll go from there. But this week, I, I want to start a, a new series. I want us as a church to, to go into a series um, that focuses on being in him, being in Christ. And, and during this series, we're going to focus on the, the idea of unity. And that's why we're going to spend quite a few weeks in the book of Ephesians. When you read the book of Ephesians, Paul is literally talking about unity uh, from beginning to end. Uh, and so we're going to focus on looking at um, being blessed in him. We're going to look at being new in him. We're going to look at walking in him and being strengthened in him. And this week, we're going to talk about being one in him. Before we begin our series, I want to share a story with you guys that comes from uh, my own life. Growing up, let's see, I can't remember, I asked my dad the other day what age he bought us the bikes. I thought he bought us the bikes in the fourth grade, I don't know, sometime between eight and ten years old. Anyways, one year for my birthday, my birthday's at the end of February, my brother's birthday's at the beginning of March, and one year, my dad bought us some legit BMX bicycles. 
I'm talking these were the real deal. GT Diamondback Vipers. These were, ooh, they were pretty. My brother, he's the older brother. He's three years older than me. He got the silver one, but I got the good one. Mine was plum. Not purple, plum. It's a darker shade. More manly. Um, anyway, so we loved our bikes. They were, all, they were great, amazing bikes, the real BMX bikes. They even had the, the pegs on the bikes so you can stand up and do the tricks. That I mean, we loved these bikes. So these are our bikes, great bikes. We did all the stuff we could try to do. I'm not saying we were that amazing at any of the tricks, but we tried. You know, we could stand on the back and all that. Um, but as we grew up, as we got older, we had those same bikes. They lasted for forever. And eventually, my brother got to the age where he started driving, and so he quit using his bike, which is good news for me, because then I had two bikes, right? So I had these two bikes, and again, would, would love to ride on them, love to work on them, tinker with them, and one day, in, it had to be seventh or eighth grade, I, I don't recall exactly, sadly, I'm starting to get to that point where I can't remember when thing, what age things happened. I'm only 34, guys, so bear with me. Um, but I was going to a friend's house after school, got off the bus, gonna go to my friend's house in our neighborhood. My brother's bike had pegs on the front and the back. Now those pegs are the things that stick out from the tires. You can stand on the front wheels, you can hop on the back wheels, or hop on one side if you're really daring. But my brother, he had pegs on the front of his bike. I only had, he had pegs on the front and back, I only had pegs on the back. So I took his pegs, put them on my bike, right? Made good sense. I got, them, I got them taken off real quick. It's not hard to do. All you do is twist them on, right? You don't have to be a genius or a rocket scientist to do this. Apparently you do in a minute. But um, So I get those. I, I take off that. I get the pegs on. I'm like, great. This is awesome. I get to go show my buddy. You know, my bike's got pegs. Cool. I'm going to show off. Get on our driveway, and I start rolling down our driveway. It's kind of a downhill. As soon as you turn out of our driveway and go left, you're on a big hill, which is awesome. You get to pick up speed. You go flying down this hill. It's incredible. So I'm rolling, go picking up all of this kind of speed, just coasting. And then this hill kind of bottoms out in my parents' neighborhood. And then it goes almost like straight up. So to ride this hill, you've got to stand up on the bike, right? To, to keep your speed, you've got to stand up and you've got to start pumping real hard on the pedals. So I'm, I'm flying as fast as I can. I stand up on that bike to give it a good pump. And as soon as I, whoop, the bike locks up. And I flip straight over the bike face first into the asphalt. Just smack right on my face. The bike had locked up. Something happened. The guy who worked on it messed it up somehow. And, and here I am. I'm standing there. I, I'm angry. I'm mad. I got all these scrapes and everything on me. And, and my bike doesn't work. I'm at, I'm at the bottom of this big hill. I was so mad. I picked up that bike. I walked it all the way back up the hill in my parents' house. I was so mad. I took that bike, and I literally threw it in their front yard. Like some of you'd see them like wrestling, you know, and they like, just throw and then just start. I walked all the way to my friend's house, just so mad. I go to, you know, knock on the door. He answers the door, and it looks like he's seen a ghost. He's like, What happened? And I was like, oh, I wrecked my bike, da da da, you know. He's like, No, what happened to your face? And I, and I didn't even realize that I was so mad and so embarrassed about the bike and, and just upset at the whole thing. When I went and looked in the mirror, I, went and looked, I had road rash on the entire left side of my face. <laughs> There's no wonder as I was walking through the neighborhood, the cars that would drive by were like, oh. Like, yeah. So it, it was one of those things. I was just like, I was so mad and so hurt 
and so in anger that I was just walking around all nasty and bleeding, throwing my bike in the yard. It was just a bad deal. All because one part of my bike was out of alignment a little bit. And the moment it came under some pressure, it buckled and caused the whole thing to crash, me included. Right? That was a good bike. Those are good pegs. This, this bike had amazing parts. It was a good bike with good parts and a good rider, if I'm going to say so myself. So these things weren't bad, but it was what happened when there was some disunity in the bike. When some pressure came in that, it buckled under that pressure and caused a big wreck. And then in my anger, there I was walking through the neighborhood just steaming mad and nobody could tell me nothing. The reason I tell that story is for two reasons. Number one, I make mistakes, church. You're going to be privy to quite a few. So when I make those mistakes, y'all do me a favor and bear with me. And I'll do the same with y'all. But number two, I tell that story to show the importance of unity through disunity. When you look at what can go wrong when something's just out of alignment with itself. You know, I wonder if anything like that's ever happened to churches. I wonder if that happens more often than we think, right? Those things that happen to our church's disunity can cause all kinds of problems, but let me assure you that the early church had problems too. Not just today. Lord knows every church went through some problems this last year, right? 2020 never happened. That's how we're all going to pretend. But even the early church went through problems that we've always been dealing with this because people... I'm just going to say it this way. People, people. That's what we do. And sometimes we do things that hurt each other and harm each other and get on each other's nerves or, or fight and disagree and anger. And we can cause all this hurt and all these things. But again, this has been going on since the early days of the church. And that's why when you look at Paul's letters in the Bible, when you look at Romans, Colossians, Ephesians, Philippians, when you look at these letters, primarily Paul is correcting issues. Go find me a letter where Paul says, hey, great job, you guys are doing everything perfect. There's not one. Every letter is Paul helping people understand the truth, helping them understand the truth of the gospel, helping people understand the truth of who they have become in Christ because they need to be reminded of these things. And so today we're going to begin a series that looks at biblical unity, looking at true biblical unity. So let me ask you this. What is it that unites Christians? We could get a lot of answers, right? We could say, well, we have, we, have the, we have our morals, right? We have our ethics. We have the way, we have the kind of music that Christians sing. We have the way Christians dress at church. You know, they all wear a suit and tie. Um, we have all these things that can unite us, right? But really, when we take all that away, the one thing that unites every Christian is Jesus. He is our unity and our bond. And we can answer that because that's a Sunday school answer, right? Whenever someone asks you in church or Sunday school, what's the answer in church? You always say Jesus. So we say, what is it that unites us as a church? It's Jesus. Good job, guys. You get a gold star. Um, what is it that unites us is Jesus. But what is unity in Christ? Right, we can give the little answer, the simple answer, but what is it? What does it look like to be united to Christ? How does that affect 
me and God? How does it affect you and God? How does it affect you and other people? And how does it affect us and each other? What is it to be truly united to Christ, in Christ, and to Christ? I'm going to give you a biblical de a definition of biblical unity, but rather than doing something long, drawn out, and technical, I'll just say it like this, that all true unity in the life of Christians is based on being one in Him. Let me say that again, that all biblical unity for believers is based on the foundation of being one in Him, being one in Jesus. He is what unites us. He is our bond together. And so if it's Jesus that unites us, what is it that divides us or tries to divide us? Right? There's a lot of things. We have our flesh. We have the world. We have pride. We have sins of others. We have things that are trying to come against us. We have an enemy, Satan, the fallen angels, demons. All these things are trying to pull us away from our unity in Christ. Now, thank God they cannot do that. Nothing can separate you from Christ. But instead, what these things do is, is attach onto you like dead weights and just try to weigh you down. They can never pull you away from Christ, but they just attach themselves and just try to weigh you down like dead weights, which is what they are. And again, this isn't new for the church. This is something that the that church has always dealt with, okay? And so what we're going to do is look at Paul's letter to the Ephesians. What he wrote for them is still applicable to us here today because we are part of the exact same body that they are. Because there's only one body in Christ. That is his church. And we are a part of that same body that they were a part of. And now, if we, here, today, as First Baptist Church Truth, if we're ever going to walk and function the way that Christ Jesus has freed us to be, the way that Christ Jesus died for us and rose for us to be, the people that he freed us to be as part of this local congregation, we must first know a couple of things about that. We need to first know our individual unity to Christ, each one of us as believers, how we are united to Christ and what that then does to our relationship with God. But then secondly, we need to understand how we are united to one another. And the union that we have with each other is a lot deeper than we think a lot of times. Because we, again, we all belong to one body. And none of us in here is the head of this body. You are not the head of Christ's church. I am not the head of Christ's church. Only Jesus is the head of his church. Only Jesus is the head of his body. Remember, in his physical body, when he walked this earth, he reconciled to himself a people on the cross. He bought himself a people, and he calls them out of the world. He calls them out of the world and into himself. That's why when you look at the Bible in, in the Greek, it uses this word for church that says ekklesia, which comes from two words together. Ek is out or from, and klesis means to call. Ekklesia, out from, call, to be called out. Christ is calling us out of the world and calling us into himself. 
That's what it means to be the church. And that's what we are a part of, united as one in him, in his one body. And so we're going to explore that unity uh, through the words of Paul and what he wrote uh, to the Ephesian believers. If you'll read with me in Ephesians chapter 4, we're going to read verses uh, 1 through 6. Paul says, I, therefore a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. I know there's a lot of words on the screen, but you, the one that stands out the most, what, what word seems to jump out over and over and over and over again in that? It's the word one. One. Church, we are to be one in him because our God is one. The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, they are one, and we are to be one as they are one. Now, I'm starting this series in chapter 4 of Ephesians, which is right smack dab in the middle of the book. You, you, you've got Paul going through the first three chapters telling people who they become in Christ, how they are the blessed in Christ, how they become a new creation, a new man in Christ. And even shows his heart and his prayer for them. And then in chapters 4 through 6, what Paul switches then, and he starts showing them what the new man looks like. And that's where we're going to begin today. I want us to understand again that truth, that center, that foundation of being one in him. And as I was looking for, at this message, preparing, I found a commentary that said this. It said, the Christian life is simply the process of becoming what you are. And I like that. I like that statement. I like the heart of it. But I would amend that statement to say this, that the Christian life is simply the process of being the new creation that God has freed you to be in him. So let's look back at verse 1 real quick. He says, I therefore, prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Paul was literally a prisoner when he wrote this letter. So that means when he says a prisoner for the Lord, he means that very literally. Very literally. But in here, he's giving a, a passionate exhortation. When he uses that word urge, he is passionately urging and pleading with people. I'm urging you to do this, to walk in a manner worthy of the calling. Now, Paul is not telling them to become worthy. Notice that. Paul didn't say Go earn your worth. Go become righteous. Paul says walk in a manner worthy of your calling. For you have been called. And you heard that call to faith in Christ. And you believed in Christ. And when you believed, you received his righteousness and his holiness was given to you, right? And so now you are to walk as one who is in that calling. Who is in that body. That's what Paul is calling us to. He's not telling us to become worthy. He's telling us to walk and bear the fruits that come from the root of Christ in us. 
This is a very different way to understand this passage, and I've heard a lot of people preach it. You have been given this. You have received Christ. He has changed you. He has given you his life. He has taken away your sin, given you his spirit. Walk as one who has this, because you do. And this walk, in verse 2, Paul says, is one with all humility and gentleness and patience, bearing with one another in love. Christians, are we always described as being people who walk like that? You know, but these sound a lot like the fruit of the Spirit that Paul wrote in his letter to the Galatian believers, right? In Galatians 5, he talks about love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. In that letter, too, he was also correcting some issues for the church. And I can't wait for us to get to Galatians one day. I'm excited about that. But he says to walk with all humility and gentleness and patience, bearing with one another in love. Why do we bear with, why are we to bear with one another in love? Why is that our calling? If we remember the words of Christ to his disciples at the Last Supper, think about that scene at the Last Supper, the night that Jesus was betrayed by Judas just hours before when he went into the upper room and had that Last Supper with his disciples. And Jesus, what did he do? He took off his robes, he got up from his place, took off his robes, got down and washed their feet. Remember that? He washed every disciple's feet. He even washed the feet of the one he knew was going to betray him. Jesus loved and served those disciples. And this is what he said to them after he had washed their feet. He said in John 13, verses 34 through 35, he said, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Jesus told his disciples that they are to love as he loved. Why? Because we're a part of him. We're in him, so we do what he did, right? We are to walk in love because Jesus walked in love. And the words of Paul here echo those words of Christ in John 13, that we are to bear with one another in love. And then in verse 3, bearing with one another in love, that we are eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit. Eager to maintain. Did he say create unity? Church, I can't get up here today and say, hey, we need to create a sense of unity in us. No. Our unity is given to us from Christ you have the unity. Whether you're walking in it or not, it's your choice, but you have the unity. Be eager to maintain that which he has given you. The unity is also that of the Spirit. It's a very specific unity, right? Because I can get a group of evil people together to get in unity. Right? I'll bet you could think of a group, a political party or something like that. I'm not going to say which one. Anyways. Evil people can conspire together, right? They can come into agreement and agree with each other and say, yeah, we're, we're, in, we're in cohorts to do this. Like, we're, we're going to do this. So it's not just agreement that's our unity, but it's a very specific type of unity. The unity of the Spirit 
the unity of the Spirit. And what that unity of the Spirit is, it's a unity that testifies to Christ. We could say it's a unity that fulfills this, uh, this prayer from Jesus in John 17, 20. The words he prayed in the high priestly prayer, you can go ahead and throw that up there. Uh, John 17, verses 20 through 23. Now this is a few hours after Jesus had washed his disciples' feet. Okay, As he was going on the way to Gethsemane, before he was going to be betrayed, we have this long prayer that we call the high priestly prayer. It's a long, long passage that we get to see the heart of Jesus. And in this, we hear some words that can really shake how we understand our relationship with God if we will hear what Jesus has to say. Jesus, praying to his Father, says in verse 20, I don't ask for these only. The disciples. I don't ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. That's us. Jesus is talking about us. Those who will believe in him through the word of the disciples, that's us today, church. He's praying for us here. For those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one. Just as, Father, you are in me, and I am in you, that they may also be in us. Do you realize that you are in Christ? You are in God? You are united to God through Christ? You are in Christ's body? His spirit is within you, and you are reconciled to the Father through Jesus? That's who you're in fellowship with as a believer. That's not my words. That's the words of Jesus here. He said that they also may be in us. So that, and here's the reason, so that the world may believe that you sent me, that is Jesus, because the glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. Christ wants his church to be one just as he and the Father are one. This is that perfect unity. Again, so that the world may know, this is in verse 23, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. Do you realize that you are loved by the Father the same way he loved the Son? You say, well, that couldn't possibly be me. This is according to Jesus. Those who will believe in me through their word, through the disciples, so that, so that they will know that you sent me and loved them just as you loved me. The Father loves you just as he loved the Son because you are in Christ. This is a whole different understanding of unity rather than a bunch of people who just get together and agree about the same moral standard, right? Or want to sing the same songs. This is about being completely and fully united together in Christ. And we are bonded together. Maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. This is not just a peace which is no fighting, no, no anything. This is the bond of peace because Christ himself is our peace. Ephesians 2.14. He is our peace. Christ is our peace with God. And Christ is our peace with each other. That sin that you like to hold against your brother or sister, that wrong that you like to hold against them, Christ has forgiven them of that. 
but you want to hold them accountable in judgment. The King of Kings has forgiven them as a believer in him, and you want to hold them to it. You want to strangle them with that sin. When he's already forgiven them, that doesn't make a lot of sense. That's not the unity Christ is talking about. Again, he is our peace to God and to each other. And all of this is founded upon, going into verse 4, that there is one body. There's one body. The church, we've already talked about the ecclesia, the called out ones, his body. There's only one group of people that belongs to Jesus Christ, and that is those who believe in him. He only has one body, and only that body is reconciled to God. Jesus is the only way to the Father. No man comes to the Father but by me, he said. There's no other way to God except being a part of his body, believing in him by faith. He says there is one body and one spirit. Remember when Jesus was baptized, the Holy Spirit came and landed on him like a dove, is what we're told. And then the Bible says, the scripture says it remained on him. Literally, it says it, it abode on him, stayed on him. And that same spirit that when he gave himself up, when he died, that spirit that raised him from the dead is the same spirit that he gave to you when you believed. You have that spirit through faith in Christ. And he says, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. Again, I'm talking to believers. If you don't believe in Jesus, none of this has applied to you yet. It can, but none of this has applied to you yet. The one hope. We only have one hope as believers, and that hope is Jesus Christ, that he saves us and will be our future salvation as well, that he has saved us and is saving us. We are all together one, united with the church, the early church. Back in the book of Acts, when the Spirit was poured out on the day of Pentecost, that's the church you're a part of. We kind of tend to think of, I go to FBC Truth, that's my church. No, this is just our gathering of the church. We are a part of the entire church throughout all of history, connected with the early church and the apostles and the disciples, all of them. That's the body that we're a part of all under Christ. And all of us, all of us put our hope in our Lord. And in verse 5, we have one Lord, one faith, and one baptism. There's only one master one king and one Lord over all the universe, and that is Jesus Christ. And because he is the one true king, there's only one true faith, and that's faith in him. And now that faith in him is what then baptizes us into him. It says one baptism. Now we can talk about whether this is water baptism or not, but I'll say this, that when we come to faith in Christ, that when we come to him and we believe that faith baptizes us into him. Remember the words in his prayer in 1721 where he said that they may be in us, us in them, they in us. That's what baptism is. Immer baptism is simply immersion. We are fully immersed into a right, full, and perfect relationship with God. Not because we did anything right. No, on the contrary. We did everything wrong, and Christ did everything right and gave us this freely. But that's what we live in through faith in our Lord. We are baptized fully and completely into him. We are made right with, in verse 6, the one God. 
and Father of all, who is over all, through all, and in all. We've already said there's one King, one Lord, one Master of the universe, because there is one God. He is the Father and Creator of all. And everything is rightfully His. He created this. That means He's above it. We're all down here. There's only one head, and that is Christ. Everything rightfully belongs to Him. And we, we spurned Him and hated Him and turned away from Him. And He said, I love them. I'm going to rescue them. And He gave Himself for us, did everything we needed to unite us back to Him. And that's why it says that He is over all. Right? He is the preeminent one. He's the one who started all this. He is above all. But then not only that, through faith into that baptism, then we come into him and he is through all and in all. That's what it means to have the Holy Spirit, that he is in you and working through you. Even when you don't feel like it's true. But that's the absolute truth of what we have in him. And that's why our, our differences, our distinctiveness, don't divide us. No, in fact, all of these things in the early church, you know, they had the Jews and the Gentiles, and they thought they, there were some big differences there. And what they didn't realize is that God had created them as one new man in Christ. There's only one man, and that's those in Christ. They were created, all of our differences and distinctions are actually a testimony to his creative work and his specific plans and all the distinct things he wants to do through you as an individual with your friends and family and work. All this is a testimony to our unity in him all working together as one because we are one in him. Remember what I said about Jesus' prayer there at John 17 in verse 21. He said that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, so that the world may believe that you sent me. Our unity is a living testimony that Jesus Christ, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that we are calling people to believe and by believing in him have life in his name. That's what our unity is about and for, and we get to benefit. Now, let me ask you this, church. What would truth look like? What would your schools look like? What would your workplaces look like if you were known as such a living testimony? What would this... Be like if that's what you were known for, known for your unity to Christ. Because again, I said, you are united to Christ. You have been given this. But what if that was your reputation? What if that was this body's reputation? If the way we walked, if all of our teams, our committees, our people, all the things, if we stopped walking in sin and started walking in him and everybody could see that, not to say, wow, they're so great, but they would see that and say, they serve a great God. Look what he's done. And hey, we're being called to be a part of that. For the sake of Jesus' name, what would it be like if that was what our church was known for? So today, I, I want you to consider your unity to Christ. I, I want you to think about what are some of the ways that I have been actively engaging in my unity to God and to other believers how have I actively been engaging in that? But 
what are, the, what are some of the ways also that I haven't been walking? You know, God has given me all these freedoms and things I can walk in, but I, I like walking in my pride. I, I like what I like. I don't care what they like. I, I want my selfish desires. Can you imagine what it would be like if our church lived in such a way that we cast aside any old divisions, any old prides, any, any old wants, and our old self to walk in the new person that Christ has freed us to be in him. You've been given that. You've been given everything pertaining to life and godliness through Jesus Christ. You have it. It's yours. It's who he has reborn you to be. That's who you are. That's why he tells us to walk in these things. So I urge you, church, just as Paul urged the early church, let's walk in those things. Let's cast aside those things that we have clung to, the old dead weights, and let's take hold of the new life that is ours through Jesus so that we can change this world for the sake of his name and his glory. So that we, as his body, who were created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand, that we will walk in them. Church, will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, God, what a wonderful thing it is to, to be here today with these believers, God, with these people to gather and worship you, the one true king. God, you are the head of this church, your body. And each one of us, God, we are all members of your body. And I pray, Lord, that you will show us our unity in you and our unity to others in you, God, Show us how to walk as those who have been born again. Show us as how to walk as those who are free in you, Jesus. Show us how to live as you lived because we are alive in you. God, I pray you do wonderful things through this church body, God. I pray that you do things that as we look around, we can only say that was God. God changed that heart. God changed that life. God changed this town to the praise and the glory of his son. Lord, we thank you for all that you have done. We thank you that through your son, Jesus, we can be reconciled to you by faith. Not by anything that we have done, but by everything that he has done and that he continues to do. Pray, we ask, and we believe this all in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, our Savior, and our King. Amen. Well, church, what I'd like to do is move into a time of invitation. Of course, as Emily's going to play a last song for us, and what I would like to do, if you want to come pray today for any reason, if you want to come and pray about salvation, if you want to come pray for our church, if you want to come pray for some old divisions that you've been carrying around and you realize it's time to let go of those, come pray today. If you want to talk about joining the church, if you want to talk about baptism, salvation, or if you just got a question, during this next song that we're going to sing, I'd like to open up a time of invitation. Will you stand and sing with Emily?
come today if the Lord is leading you to come.